Go ahead and go back to Jude if you have a copy of God's Word with you. And as you turn there, um, we're going to do a little bit of interaction here. What are some ways, what are some methods that you use to remind yourself of something? So you have something you definitely want to remember. Um, you're afraid you're going to forget it. What are some methods you use? Write it down, okay, all right. Do you write it in more than one place or just one place? One place but big, large letters, all right. What are some other methods of reminder do you guys use? Tell your wife. <laughs> all right, what else? Send yourself an email, yes, I do that too, yes. Acronyms, okay. So you make up a little wordplay, okay? Yeah. So I use the Siri to remind us. Siri. Yep, Siri, okay. Uh, what? Anything else? Any other? What's that? Evernote, yes, I use Evernote. Anyone else use Evernote here? Okay, oh, Abby. Okay, a couple. There's only a few of us here. All right, I love Evernote. Okay. Mia? Alexa. Oh, you use Alexa to remind you. Okay. All right. Anything else? Any other? Uh, um, I'm, I'm one that I definitely will send myself an email. Um, I've also texted myself. Um, I, I write things down. Uh, I have a whiteboard in my office. I write things on. I write things on p pieces of paper. Um, notes, the, the notes app on your phone. So there's a lot of different methods that we use to remind ourselves. And the reason why we have to do that is because we are prone to forget, are we not? Are we, we are definitely prone to forget things. And that's been a theme. If, you'll, if you study the scriptures, you will find that that's kind of a theme that happens all throughout the scriptures is this idea of we need to remember. Um, I know I've talked on this before, but uh, in the Old Testament, a lot of times when they would come through a battle or something like that, that they would stop and they would make a, a statue or an altar of stones, right? And it would be for the reason, they said, so when generations come and when they come through here, they will see that God brought us safely to this point here. Um, in fact, uh, uh, there's a song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And then one of the verses says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Okay? Um, most of us think of Charles Dickens, Scrooge, in that. But that's not what that means. What that means is, it means, Thus far help has come. Okay? And so there was a stone monument that was built so that people wouldn't forget that. We are people who are prone to forget. Jude, in this letter, wants us to remember a couple things because we are so prone to forget. And the people that he was writing to we're forgetting, forgetting things. Let me quickly just re recap last week. Is We talked about how that Jude was writing this letter. He was going to sit down. He was going to write a theological letter to these people. We don't know who these people are. There's some anonymity here. And we talked about how that, that was actually good in this case because it makes it much easier for us to make a universal application. But here he was writing to these people and he was, he was going to write down about how that we all need salvation and how God provides salvation. And it was going to be this kind of... Uh, theological letter and soteriology. But what he decided was, is as, as he heard word or he got more knowledge, he understood that he had to change plans. And he had to write about P 
people who were coming in and influencing these people in a bad way. And so he wants to remind us about these people here. Now, we already read the text. I won't read it again, but verse 4 says that uh, people were creeping in unnoticed, and we talked about that last week here. But the first reminder here we see in verse 5, he says, Now I want to remind you. And then in verse 17, he says, But you must remember. Next week we're going to get to verse 17, but for now, today we're going to start in verse 5 when it says this. Now I want you to remember, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So here's, here's the main point of the sermon, if I'm going to give it to you in a very succinct way, and it is this, sin never wins, okay? Sin never wins. And we're going to look at why he was, he, and how he brought this reminder to uh, the people he was writing to and by us. First of all, in verses 5 through 7, we see that history shows that God judges sin. He has to because he's holy. God is a holy God, and so he has to deal with sin. Otherwise, he would not be holy any longer. And so his holiness demands that he deals with sin. In history, Jude reminds his people, he says, all through our history, God has always dealt with sin, and he's always judged sin. Let me give you some examples, Jude says here. First of all, he talks about the people of Egypt. Now, this is talking about not the Egyptians here, this is talking about the people who have been already saved out of Egypt. If you were to go back, and I'm not going to have you turn there, but uh, Numbers chapter 14 is where you would find this. The, the sin that is stated here is unbelief. It says, there, it says that they, and afterwards he destroyed those who did not believe at the end of verse 5. So unbelief is the state of sin here. Now what is happening here is that these people were brought out of Egypt and if you read the beginning of chapter 14, you will see that they are so frustrated because that's when the 12 spies went to spy in the land of Canaan. And 10 came back and says, it's too great, we can't do it. Two of them said we should do it. The people were so moved by the 10 testimonies that they didn't want to go. And in fact, at the beginning of chapter 14 of Numbers, the people actually said, let us choose another leader and go back to Egypt. That's what they said. And so this is the context that Jesus, that, that the Father is dealing with this, and he says this, and he brings judgment to the sin of unbelief. He says this in Numbers chapter 14. He says, But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness. Because they wouldn't go into the land and obey God. They did not believe God and his promise. And so they had to stay there one year for every uh, day. Um, it says, until the last of your dead bodies lie in the wilderness, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the reason why you would see in the Bible, you see this, what is known as the wandering in the wilderness. This is why they wandered for 40 years. It was a whole new generation that came up. It was because unbelief. And what Jude is saying, he says, remember, these are the people that God just saved. He just saved them, and because they did not believe, he judged them. Sin never wins. He says, he says history has shown that God will always deal with this. He moves on to a, another example here about the angels there. He says that uh, angels who did not stay within the position of authority but left their dwelling, he is kept into utter um, eternal punishment. It's this idea of rebellion there. 
Now, people are, uh, they, there's a little confusion in this of what this is talking about here. Is this talking about when the angels along with Satan fell from heaven and they rebelled? That's one possibility. Another possibility is found in Genesis chapter 6. And this is when the sons of God, they came into, um, uh, the angels, they came into uh, uh, human beings. They wanted to have relationships with human wives or human women. And uh, that led to uh, the, the, the great flood there. Um, either way, whichever position you choose to take on that, and if you want to study it, go for it. And if you want to talk about it, I'd love to talk about it. Uh, it's an interesting discussion. But that's not the main point here of which one it is. The point is, in either one, angels rebelled against God's position of authority at some point. They, they didn't stay within the place where God had placed them. They wanted something different. In either case, they wanted something different than what God had given to them, and so they rebelled against them. And now they're facing judgment. This is what Jude is reminding them. It says, even so the God's chosen people... In Egypt, he's still judged for sin. Sin doesn't win. He says, angels, a higher being than you, God still judges when they don't stay within the plan. Sin doesn't win. Then he gives one more example, and that is the idea of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is found in Genesis chapter 18 and 19. And the sin there is self-indulgent immorality. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 7, says, talks about they indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desire, all of these, look at verse 7, it says they serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. See, this is the point that Jude says, I want to remind you, sin doesn't pay. God always has to deal with sin. So make sure you understand it. So when you're being influenced by these, these other voices around you that are taking you away from God's word, that's going to end up badly is what Jude is trying to get people to understand. The idea of these sins of rebellion like the angels, unbelief like the uh, children of Israel, and self-indulgent immorality like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. These sins are constantly, uh, throughout the ages, we're dealing with. So I said, first of all, history shows that God judges sin. Secondly, I would say that there really is nothing new under the sun. And that's what he, Jude is saying in verse 8 as we continue on in this narrative. He says in this letter, he says, yet in like manner. Okay, so just like I just talked about, just like the angels, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, just like the children of Israel, these people also, talking about the people that were creeping in, they're relying on their dreams. They defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So first of all, we have the same sins that are being accomplished, that are being committed here. It's before. These people that Jude is dealing with, the same ones. It talks about, this is all under the heading of relying on dreams. So first of all, they're, they're not looking at the Word of God as their authority. They're not looking at uh, Scripture. They're not looking at God's revelation. They're looking at their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own interpretations as their authority. And you say, well, man, that's terrible. But we face the same temptation all the time. We know the word, we know the scriptures, and we know what we feel like. We know the Bible, we know what God's plans are, but we know what we just don't want to do. And the same sins are being committed today as was in Jude's day, as it was in these historical examples that Jude is giving here. It ought to serve, us as a, serve to us as a warning Defile the flesh there, this idea of immorality. Reject authority, rebellion. Blaspheme glorious ones, unbelief and arrogance again. 
So here we see these same sins of unbelief, of, of immorality, of rebellion or arrogance coming up over and over again. And if that's not enough, he gives more examples of this in um, verses uh, 11 and following. He says, this is like repeated history. He says, Cain, he says, Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain, abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. What is he talking about here? He's talking about what was, what was Cain's uh, sin there? It really was unbelief. Yes, he was a murderer. We get that. But before the murder happened, it was that he didn't believe God in his word. God has said, this is how you sacrifice. This is what I want you to give. And he says, I'm going to do it my own way. And so, God's commands were optional to Cain, apparently. He, he mentions Balaam here. That would be found in Numbers 31. And Balaam was a teacher of God's people. And he turned against Israel and cursed them because a foreign king promised to pay him well. At first, Balaam resisted that temptation, but he later advised God's people to engage in orgies and sensuality with the women of Midian. That's found in Numbers 31. So we see that Balaam, because of greed, he went and encouraged immorality, self-indulgent immorality. He, he also mentions Korah there. Korah, this is found in Numbers 16. He hated the fact that the Levites could hold a place of authority over God's people, but he was not eligible for that position. He wasn't a Levite. And so he says this in Numbers chapter 16. Now Korah and others took men, and they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? You see, what Korah wanted is he wanted a position of authority. And so he rebelled against God's plan. God said only the Levites were going to hold this position, but he wanted it instead. And then he misused scripture from another place and said, well, aren't we all holy? Well, and so he twisted scripture to fit his agenda. Do we not see that today? And so we have the same sins that are being uh, accomplished over and over again, but it's not just the same sins. There's nothing new under the sun there. It's also the same outcome. I'm not going to go through in verse 12 through 15 of trying to unpack all the metaphors there, but he gives like four different metaphors there about uh, waterless clouds and, and fruitless trees and waves of the seas and wandering stars. He... He talks about, in all these metaphors, basically, and you can go through that and study that if you'd like, but basically he's talking about it doesn't work. He's saying judgment's going to happen. A tree is supposed to bear fruit, and it's not bearing fruit. Stars, they're, they're chasing into darkness there. He's talking about this, this idea of water, this foam that just brings up all the bad stuff of the ocean and pushes it on the shoreline. He says, this is what your sin does. And so not only are people committing the same sins, and he's trying to get the, the people he's writing to understand. He's like, listen, this has been happening since the beginning of time. These people are doing the exact same thing. Don't do it. And so what I do is I'm taking Jude's message right now, and I'm bringing it to you. And I'm saying, don't do it. Don't follow the same pattern of rebellion, of unbelief, of immorality. Because according to verse 15, judgment is coming. This idea of rebellion and not following God's plan. I, I skipped over because of time. 
but I'll mention in verse 9 about Michael, and you may, that may raise some questions as you read that text and say, wait a minute here, I don't ever remember a, a scenario where Michael got into an argument with the devil over the body of Moses. Um, that's coming from uh, an, uh, an external source where there was tradition that when Moses died, and remember, we don't know where he was buried, that the devil tried to claim the body of Moses, and Michael fought against that. And the, and the, the, the argument the devil was using, according to this external source, was, well, he was a murderer, so he belongs to me. But the point isn't whether or not what, how that argument went down. The point what, what Jude's making here is even Michael and Angel didn't use his own authority against Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Because he understood his position. Only, only um, the Lord can rebuke uh, Satan. And so he says, uh, so the point is, is that don't, don't go outside your position. Don't go outside your God's plan for your life. But I want to, before I close, I want to say this. In verse 16, all of a sudden we get another description. It seems kind of thrown in there. It says, These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. I told you that sin never wins, and, and we, we unpacked this first by showing that history shows that God judges sin, and then that there's really nothing new under the sun, that Jude was dealing with the same things, and we are doing the same thing dealing with the same things. But I would say this before we close. Sin is often very subtle. Did you notice how he describes these people? He says they're grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. This is how he described them. They're people who complained that they were given to complaining. They were malcontents, meaning they were not easily satisfied. They were arrogant people. And they used people instead of served people. And when you break it down, when you look at all the sins that these people were committing before this, and you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, you think, well, man, I, I don't identify with that. Or you look at the children of Israel, and you say, hey, in the wilderness, want a new leader, you can say, man, I, I don't really identify with that. Or, or you can look at maybe even Cain, and how he just decided to flagrantly disobey God, and, and then murdered his brother. You say, I, I don't really identify with that. But at the heart of all these people, these examples that Jude was giving them was this, complaining, not being easily satisfied, arrogant, and using people instead of serving people. I submit those are sins we can't identify with. It's easy to have a complaining spirit. It's easy to uh, not be easily satisfied and demand more and, and get a sense of entitlement in our lives. It's easy to allow arrogance and pride to creep up in our, in our souls. And it's easy to only see people as tools for what we wanted to accomplish for our own lives. And so my, my message today is I'm taking Jude's letter to us and I'm bringing it to us. I'm going to say this, is that these three sins of unbelief, self-indulgence, rebellion, they are, these are sins that have been constant, they have constantly plagued mankind and left to ourselves, we are not immune to the lure of these temptations. And looking at these four things I just mentioned, complaining, not being easily satisfied, arrogant, and using people, I think that you could think of some ways, and I know I can think of ways, where these sins are easily coming up in my own life and in your life. And what Jude is saying here is he's saying, watch out. That's the type of thinking that leads to 
these flagrant acts of, of rebellion, these flagrant acts of immorality, these flagrant acts of unbelief. He's saying, be very cautious in day-to-day life. So I'll say this, God's commands are not optional as Cain thought. God's plans are not negotiable as the angels thought. God's rules are not debatable as Sodom and Gomorrah assumed. And so we should not make the same error. Whenever we find ourselves succumbing to the temptation to live autonomously, and that's really at the heart of what was going on here, is people wanting to live autonomously, being masters of their own destiny, being the only one that's calling the shots in their life. Whenever we find ourselves succumbing to the temptation to live autonomously, we are waging war against heaven and are in danger of God's corrective hand or judgment. And so that's the warning today from this text of Scripture. Let's not try to live autonomous lives We need to live as God has directed for us. And God has made many commands to make it so that we live with each other, for each other, and to help each other out and for the glory of God and in God's plan. So where does this all start? As I said, it starts with this allowing us to let complaining creep in and not being easily satisfied, arrogance, using people instead of serving people. All of these things are ways for us to go the way of Cain, Balaam, and Korah. The angels, um, we had uh, the angels, we had the people of Israel, and we had Sodom and Gomorrah. These are examples for us. Let us not just think that we're immune to those things, because we're not. And the early detections are complaining, arrogance, not being easily satisfied, and using people instead of serving them. There's the warning for today, the reminder for today, based on Jude. What we're going to do is we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And uh, in a minute here, what I'll do is uh, we'll move the table over here. And um, I'll begin to break the bread. And uh, we can just come on up to the table. Instead of singing as we normally do, we're going to do something different today. Because we thought, you know, with people with song sheets and things, that might be a little bit more difficult. What we're going to do is that we're going to um, uh, have uh, Wayne and Cindy are going to read a chapter from Luke. Luke chapter 23, talking about crucifixion. And they're going to take turns reading through that chapter. And so listen to them as they, as they read this passage and let it remind you what Christ has done for us, okay? You see, this table should remind us that we have freedom in Christ now. And so there's no reason for us to complain. There's no, I mean, we should be the most easily satisfied people in the world when we see what Christ has done for us. There's no room for arrogance when we see what Christ has had to do for us represented at the table. And we see everyone coming together with the same need. That should remind us to serve one another. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to pray here, and then we'll move the table over. I'll begin to break the bread. You come on up. Uh, Wayne and Cindy, why don't you go ahead and start coming on up now. And... Uh, um, and then you'll go back to your seats and then we'll eat and drink together. This is a, a table for believers, those who are following Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, if you claim Jesus Christ as your uh, Savior and your disciple of Christ, then this table's for you. If you're not, if you're not a, a follower of Christ, then uh, this table's not for you. And so we just ask that uh, you don't participate because this is the way God set it up. And so... If you're a believer in Christ, this table's for you. I'm going to pray, and uh, then we'll move the table over, and then 
uh, I'll, I'll motion to Marsha, and Marsha will lead the charge up to the table, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we can spend looking at your word. Lord, I do pray that uh, we would uh, remember how easy it is to slide into this sinful lifestyle that Jude was warning against. And Lord, I pray that the table would remind us not to complain, to be satisfied because you have paid sin's price, uh, a penalty for us. And what else, what more do we need? I pray that the table would remind us not to be arrogant and that we would serve one another. In Christ's name we do pray, amen.